In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I need your help today. So I need uh, two volunteers. I will be needing two volunteers to read something. So first of all, let's turn uh, to hymn 57. Hymn 57. And I'll request someone to please stand and just read it. You will not be asked to sing. (laughs) So if I have a volunteer to please stand and read hymn 57. Lo, he comes with clouds, descending once for all our salvation, slain thousands, thousand saints, attending swell the triumph of his train. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Christ the Lord returns to reign. The whole thing, please. (laughs) Every eye shall now behold, robed in dreadful majesty, those whose set at naught and sold him, pierced and nailed him to the tree, deeply wailing, deeply wailing, deeply wailing, shall the true Messiah see. Those dear tokens of his passion, still his dazzling body bears, cause of endless exultation to his ransom worshipers. With what rapture, with what rapture, with what rapture gaze we on those glorious scars. Yea, amen, let all adore thee, high on thine eternal throne. Savior, take the power and glory. Claim the kingdom for thine own. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Those shall reign, thou alone. Thank you. And the second thing that I would like for you to turn to is your prayer books and page 159, page 159, and I would request someone to, to please stand and read the first, the very first collect on that page, page 159. Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light. Now in this time of this mortal life in which thy son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the quick and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you so much. And now the pop quiz. What do you think these texts are all about? It's not that hard a question. (laughs) Preparing the hearts and minds for the coming of Jesus. Thank you. When? When is Jesus coming? He's coming soon. Excellent. Well, that is what it is all about, the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's not talking about the Lord, baby Jesus. It's 
It's not talking about the Lord baby Jesus. It's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what Advent is all about. Last week, last week, uh, at after the 9 o'clock, 9.15 service, we have this adult hour, and, and the, the occasion is called Keeping the Word Alive, and there was a room full of people, and, and we had sung this hymn, and we had heard this collect, and I asked people what is it about, and uh, people were not able to connect the dots and say that it is about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that really has shaken me. That has really shaken me because I think that people, theologians and church people who say that what we are doing in a worship service, the hymns that we are singing, the prayers that are being said, uh, the gospel reading and the scripture readings that are being, being heard are probably not speaking to where people are. That's why those words are being blocked out. That's why those dots are not connecting. Well, that for me is extremely hard thing to bear because that's what I do. I preach and I use words and words are my tools. And if my tools are not working, then I am in a big problem. And so are other preachers too, by the way. Well, in the beginning of the 20th century, there was a movement that transpired by, and and, and it's known as, at that time, it was known as the Protestant, liberal Protestant theology. And the whole idea was to use all the cultural resources of the then Europe to make sense of how God is present and active in the life of the people. And I think it's extremely important, extremely important to explore that, to think through how God is relevant to the people here and now. How all that we do on a Sunday morning and hear and sing and listen is, is relevant to our lives from Monday to Saturday. So there was this movement that took place and it, it used all the cultural resources. Uh, but then there was a man by the name of Karl Barth. And he saw the danger in that. And he stood up and reacted and retaliated towards that approach. And the reason was because he was horrified to see one of his teachers, Adolf von Harnex name amongst the other 93 people who had signed, and those 93 people were all cultured Germans, 
people who were, were scientists and artists and so on and so forth, enlightened people who had signed their support for the German military ambitions. So he was horrified. And he thought, well, if you begin to think of one specific culture that interprets your understanding of God and restrict it to that, then the result is what we saw in the support of the church of Hitler. So he reacted to that. Well, his reaction doesn't help me today. (laughs) Because then it doesn't answer my question. Well, now let me turn to the collect for this day. The The one that is printed in your bulletin for the day. And it's also on page 159, the second collect. I'll ask you this. Maybe someone would, I have a feeling someone here may know where that collect actually comes from. That collect that you have before you and you're perhaps reading right now comes from the Book of Common Worship of Church of South India. What happened was that right about the time when the, when the believers in Europe were struggling to make things relevant for them, people on the Indian continent were also struggling to make Christianity relevant to them. And what they discovered was that they could no longer talk about different denominations and also talk about one Lord, one baptism. Their Christian witness did not make sense that way. And they decided that the fact that these different denominations exist, they do exist, but they have their bearings in the religious and political world of Europe, which may not be relevant to them at that time. So they decided to do away with that and form a united church. So as they were thinking through this, they decided, well, we need some kind of liturgy that binds us together as one people of God. Because they were getting uh, uh, churches from liturgical churches like the Anglican church and non-liturgical churches into this one union. So they needed something that went beyond their own liturgical experience to unite them. So they went into this uh, process of uh, revisiting the different liturgical uh, resources that exist for us Christians. So they looked at the Eastern Rite, they looked at the Western Rites, and in that looking around, they developed what is now the liturgy of the Church of South India. And some of the things that they did then were so fresh and wonderful. By the way, all these things existed before. They just went and researched and brought them back and made them alive once again. So some of the things that became kind of so impressive for the rest of of the world 
R, which we all do here now, thanks to the South Indians, exchange of peace. The priest facing the people. Uh, something that we are allowed to do, but we don't really do it, which is extempore intercessions, and so and so forth. So also the prayer of thanksgiving is now called the prayer of thanksgiving before it was called the prayer of consecration in the Anglican circles. So anyhow, then there is a list of things that they, that they revisited and formed. Well, they did it for themselves. They didn't do for anyone else. They were doing it for themselves, right? Because that was their context. But a man by the name of Leslie Brown, who was the Bishop of Uganda, was extremely impressed by what they were doing. And it so happened in, that, in, in the Lambeth Conference of 1958, this man happened to be sitting on a commission that was looking at the, the um, revision of, litur- uh, of the Anglican liturgy. And so he being so impressed by it, pushed those ideas into the Anglican world. And then he went back to his Africa and actually revised it and formed it according to the Church of South India. Uh, In all of this, there was another man by the name of Gregory Dix. He's the person, he's an Englishman, wrote a, a book which is very well known, The Shape of the Liturgy, and he for the first time proposed a certain shape. So he was being discussed in Europe and talked about in the U.S. And, and uh, while people, I say, were people who were trying to live their faith through their head, uh, the South Indians said, okay, we're going to implement this. And so they decided to implement it. So Church of South India was the first church ever to implement the ideas of Gregory Dix. Now, the divine comedy in all of this is that Gregory Dix fiercely, fiercely resisted the idea of Church of South India. (laughs) He, He could not stand it. Why? Because he believed that it negates his whole concept of apostolic church, apostolic succession. So anyhow, there's another divine comedy, which is that this bishop was from Uganda, right? Who then influenced the liturgical reformation movement. Now, why do I share all this with you on this second Sunday of Advent? Advent is a word that comes out of Adventus, which comes from the Greek word. That's a Latin word. The Greek word is parousia, and parousia means coming. And it's used in the New Testament 24 times. And 17 of those times, it is used to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. 16 of those times directly, one when it speaks about the day of the Lord, which is the second coming. So in Advent season, we prepare for the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
but we also remember the first coming. And then there's a third dimension as well, which is that we open ourselves for the coming of Jesus Christ into our lives right here in, in, and now, today. So why share this today? Because I feel, I feel the prophecy of Mark chapter 4 verse 12 is perhaps coming true to us. There is a religious wilderness that we are living in today. There's a lot of spiritual yearning, but there is a religious wilderness that we are living in today. But the good news is that there is a voice that is crying out in that wilderness. And I feel that that voice is saying to us that there is a beauty when we move beyond cultural, cultural specificity, when we make something too specific, that's not fun. The voice is saying, move out of that and enjoy the cross-pollination of experience of God from all different cultures. Just the way we in the U.S. now and all different parts of the world are enjoying the liturgical work of Church of South India. And when we move beyond a specific culture and begin to appreciate God in all different cultures, God transcends our culture. And then God begins to make sense in our culture, in the here and now. That is why Isaiah can say, the grass withers, the flower fades. But, we just heard this, but the word of the Lord will stand forever will stand forever. Amen.